right. Well, from the text, uh, the title that I have for this uh, message today is to get back to our roots. Kind of seemed appropriate. You've got the tree. I don't know if you guys noticed, there's a lot of imagery in this text. It's a, a lot of it uh, really jumps out. There's even layers that we could dive into. And uh, I think it's a, a text that's filled with some really beautiful imagery. And uh, we've got the tree, but we've also got the bush. We've got the stream and the fruit and the, the leaves and all of these kind of ideas. We also have this idea of the heart. So all these cool images kind of all combined in one very compact text. But it, uh, it seemed like a good text. It's one of my favorite texts. They even have it hanging on my wall in my office. It's a good text, and especially this time of year as we're finally coming to the end of winter. I'm not really much of a winter person, uh, if you couldn't tell. And uh, there's this kind of joy of being outside again, and there's you know flowers blooming and birds, and I don't know. It's nice. It's beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Even wore my tree t-shirt today. It's not even the only tree t-shirt I own. It's how much I love this time of year. And, uh, but I think it's a good text because we're going to look at, we're going to kind of break this text down a little bit and you can't walk outside without kind of being a little bit reminded of this uh, or is the hope at least in my uh, choosing this text for today because uh, I think in this time of year we kind of have a little bit we're a little more receptive a little more attentive to kind of what's happening outside as we as I said the you know the trees are kind of getting their leaves again and the flowers are blooming and it's it's hard not to notice it the air is sweet and so uh, in this kind of image of a tree I hope it will be something that really sticks with you throughout your days and your weeks as we're kind of coming into this awesome new season of spring, and uh, that you would hopefully take on board this idea of the tree planted by a stream. And I think it especially applies to this area. It's, we have a lot more sun, I think, than the rest of Germany, at least in my opinion. And uh, it's just really beautiful. It's a really beautiful place, really beautiful time of year, and something we can be hopefully also thankful for in God's grace and allowing us to experience something so wonderful. So in this text, as I said, there's all these images there's all kinds of analogies that we could pull out of it, all kinds of things that we could hone in on. But we're going to go in a little bit, I would say, maybe an unconventional way uh, today, something that God really placed on my heart uh, late last night, as he does sometimes. And so we're going to kind of go in the direction of shedding some light on three particular images that we see in the text. So we have the bush in the desert, we have the heart and we have the tree planted by the stream. So these three images, and from these we'll build kind of a comparison, build an analogy of three worldviews that people tend to have. Things that, these three worldviews that dominate our understanding and the world's understanding of our relationship to God. Or a better way to say it would be the way we get to God. How we're connected to Him. How do we get there? And these are going to be the three worldviews we'll unpack today. Before we dive into that, let me just pray. Father, I thank you so much for this text, and thank you so much for this time of year that we can enjoy, and uh, that it's, it's all by your grace. It's all because you show us such love and such grace in the beautiful things of creation. And so in this text and in this time of year, I pray that you would remind us to be centered, and that, yeah, in the end, Lord, we would attach this 
this image to our hearts in being like a tree planted by a stream. In Jesus' name, amen. So worldview, let's first kind of define what does that mean? What is a worldview? Some of you might have heard this before. It's loosely thrown around from time to time. What we're going to kind of be, the way that I'll define it in its simplest form is that a worldview is basically the glasses that you're wearing. It's the glasses you have on. Some of you actually have glasses on. I'm not singling you out. This is, talk, this is a metaphor. It's the, it's the lens through which we see the world, right? So this is what a worldview is in a nutshell. It's, uh, it's the glasses that we have on. And it's and something that we all have. We all have some kind of lens, some kind of filter, some kind of glasses by which we view the world. Everybody has it. We all have multiple types of glasses that we wear and different things that we believe. And so I think if we boiled it down to a nutshell a little bit more, uh, that a worldview is our core beliefs, the core beliefs that shape our reality. They shape the way we understand and view reality. So I'll give you an example to help you to help us all kind of wrap our brains around this. Some of you, if you believe this, I, you can come and talk to me afterwards and we'll, you can kind of tell me the evidence of this. But there are actually people that believe this, that the world is flat. There are people today that believe the earth is still flat. We've just got it wrong all this time. This is a worldview. This is a core belief because it's going to completely change the way you understand everything else in reality. It's going to change the way you understand seasons, the way you understand what the moon is doing, how, what, what's happening with the tides, and all the things that I feel have already been explained by the globe. But you have to redefine everything. Reality changes if you believe the earth is flat. What a sunset is, what space means, it's all kind of formed or changed affected by your worldview. And this is a literal view of the world. But it's also, if you believe, for instance, that there is no God, if you have decided there is no God, well, this becomes a worldview and it's going to distort, it's going to be a filter by which you view all other information. It's going to change the way you perceive things, the way you understand the topic of God, the idea of God. Everything is going to be filtered through this worldview. And so we have to be careful with this. I think it's easy to see how important, how vital it is to understand our worldviews, to understand the impact that they can have on our view, our understanding of reality itself. And these are, again, these core beliefs that we have. And so these have a tremendous impact, our our, our these worldviews have a tremendous impact on us and the way that we see everything else, every aspect of reality, the way we understand relationships, all these things are filtered through these core beliefs of, that we hold to. And so, one, I think, you know, you have to remember that you have them. I think it's important for us to just be aware of that fact, that you have core beliefs that do, in fact, filter the way you perceive the world, the way you perceive other people, the way you perceive uh, reality itself. And so does everyone else. Everybody has these. And I think uh, this is why a lot of times we talk past each other. We're talking about the same thing, but 
meaning completely different things because of the core beliefs, these worldviews that differ amongst us. So that's just kind of for you. That's just an extra thing I threw in for you guys. What we want to really focus on today is the specific question with regards to worldview of the worldview we have in regard to our salvation. Because there are more than one worldviews when it comes to how we understand our way to God, our salvation to God. And so, how, we made, how are we made right with God? And as I mentioned from the text, we're going to examine three different worldviews taken from the images, again, of the bush in the desert and the heart and the tree planted by the stream. And I'll give away the ending. The tree is the winner. That's the good one, if you didn't catch that already. So, now we're going to assign these worldviews to each of these images, and we'll kind of go through them and go through the text again. I think it's important to just re-examine what the text itself says. So, the first worldview we'll look at is, we'll call it the worldview of the bush in the desert, for lack of a better name. I'm not creative with naming things. I apologize. You can think of a better name for yourself in your notes. But it's the worldview of the bush. Let's read the text again, verse 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from, men, from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and a salt land where no one lives. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. So for the bush, I want to assign the worldview of legalism. The legalism, the legalistic view, this idea of earning our way to God. And I think I want to examine this from a worldview perspective because a lot of us are going to immediately say, I'm not legalistic. I definitely, I don't fall into that category. But we have to be careful with this because it's not quite that simple. It's not as simple as, oh, how, you know, just the general idea of legalism. I think uh, sometimes we might be more legalistic than we think. And I think the, this is the core of all religions, all beliefs apart from genuine Christianity in the, in the sense of what the gospel tells us. All religions are based on this idea of a legalistic outcome. Basically, if we put it down into a simple sentence, it's if I do blank, then I receive. It's that simple. It's if I do, then I receive. All religions can be boiled down to this idea. You have to do something. You have to do something. You have to bring something to the table in order to receive whatever it is that that might be, to get to God in whatever sense that religion might be offering. And for this, again, changing this kind of perspective and into a worldview idea, a core belief, if this is something that might be deep inside of us and we didn't even know it, I want to give you the example of the older brother. The older brother is, I think, the, one of the most uh, underlooked or underappreciated aspects of one of the stories that Jesus told. And when I'm talking about the older brother, I'm talking about the older brother of the prodigal son. Most of us know it as the story of the prodigal son. 
But it's not, that's, Jesus doesn't call that. He says this is a, there was a man with two sons. So it's really about two brothers. That's what the story is really about. And we kind of can forget about the older brother. You might know the story of the prodigal son. I'll kind of summarize a little bit of what's going on here. Um, so the younger brother, he is kind of like ready to go out and live his life. And so he asked his father for his portion of the inheritance. He wants what was coming to him later. He wanted it now. So his father's like, all right. He does it. He gives him all of his portion of the money. He puts it together and he goes out and just lives all wild and crazy. Wild is actually the word that uh, is used in the NIV. He lives wildly and blows all of the money. And he doesn't realize how nuts this is until he reaches a point where he finds himself jealous of a pig, thinking, man, this pig is, if I could just have some of the food that they're giving to the pigs, I'm here starving to death. Even, and then he says that even my, my father's servants at home, they had extra food. The do- their dogs were eating better than me. I, this is not the, the, the best way for me to, to be living my life. So he decides to go home. We know the story. He goes home. The father is overjoyed, runs out, gives him a ring and a robe, and throws this awesome party for him. And the older brother has been there the whole time. Day after day, he's been doing what his father commanded him to do. He's been working the fields year after year while his brother was out partying, spending all of his money and so this day, as the, son, the younger son came back, the older brother is, was out in the field. He still got his work clothes on, sweat on his brow, and he comes back from his day of work and hears some music. Here's the beat popping. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? I'm out here working. You guys are partying. What's happening? He's like, your brother's back. And he wasn't excited He was furious. And I want to read his response. So this is right up to this point. As he's come back, he's heard, he's mad. This is Luke uh, 28. Oh, yes. Not Luke 28. 15, 28 through 30. The older brother came angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a, goat, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. He's angry at what's going on. What's the older brother's problem? What's his deal? Well, he has a wrong worldview. He doesn't get it. And there are three things that I want to point out that make this so dangerous, that make this worldview so dangerous. The first, again, tying it in with our text from the, the bush, his trust is in man. His trust is in man. His trust is in himself and how well he lived. He's saying, hey, let's, let's apply this to us. He's saying, hey, I, I read my Bible every day. 
I go to church, I help out. And now, now this thing's happening to my life. That doesn't, that does not compute. That does not make sense. That's not fair, God. That's not fair. Why would you let this happen to me when I've been doing so well? I've been here the whole time working for you. I've lived so righteously. I've repented of my sins. Why is this happening to me? It's not fair. That's what the brother is saying. Because he had a worldview that was based on his own strength. He trusted in man. He trusted in himself. And so we may not feel like we're that legalistic. But when things get hard, are we quick to say, God, you're, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. Well, then there's this sense that God owes us something. And we're trusting in our own strength that we've earned something, that we're trusting in our own ability. And this, this worldview always causes us to feel like God owes me. When we have a legalistic worldview, God, somehow we have earned something. That God has kind of come into our debt. And then there's no grace. Grace can't function. Grace can't exist if we've earned something. It's by grace alone that we are saved. The second thing is that it says they will dwell, the, again, the shrub in the, or the uh, bush in the desert, they will dwell in the desert in a salt land where no one lives. It's a lonely road to walk, to be in this mindset of legalism, of feeling that God owes us when we feel so worthy that we've earned something will end up despising those that God has been gracious to. Man, I've been doing so well. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I'm still making minimum wage. But this guy just became a Christian last week. And now he's got a new house. And what's going on, God? That's not fair. That's not how it's supposed to work. I've earned my... That's a worldview of legalism. And he hated his brother for this. Why did he hate his brother so much? Because that should have been his party. That should have been, they should have been partying for him. He earned it, not his brother. That was his inheritance too. Remember, the, the younger brother took half of the inheritance, right? So the other half was the older brothers. So that fatted calf belonged to him. All that stuff belonged to him. And in the next verses, if we continued in the story, the, the father says to him, you know, everything I own is yours. So he felt robbed. He felt betrayed. He felt like something was being taken from him personally. And when we find ourselves with these kinds of thoughts, we might be a bush in the desert. And the last thing for this point is... It, it turns away from the Lord. This kind of worldview ends up turning away from the Lord. The father came out to both sons. Both sons had the father come out to them. That's important to notice. But only one came inside. And if you feel like God owes you, I think there's only two outcomes. Either God's going to hopefully break your heart and make you realize that your righteousness isn't enough. It doesn't matter God doesn't owe you anything. You're not good enough. It's by grace alone that God brings us in. And we're all, 
on an even playing field before the cross. And that is a good thing for all of us. And either you're going to realize that or you're going to realize that it's not fair and you're going to turn away from the Lord. I, I grew up in church my whole life and I've seen many friends that I had that they were you know, up in the front row. They had the big Bibles, the study versions, the one that you could like knock someone out with. It had all the notes, everything, the highlighted stuff. They prayed, they spent time. They, they were there early helping set up. They were doing things, they were involved. But there came a point where something happened and I don't know exactly what happened, but they don't, they don't believe in God anymore. They don't go to church. They, they think it's all, they've just completely rejected the whole idea of it. What happened? Well, if you have a legalistic mindset and a legalistic heart set, you're going to come to a point where things are going to get hard and it's not going to be fair and you're either going to realize that it was all by grace anyway or you're going to reject God because he's a disappointment. And the truth is, there is nothing too great for God to ask of us because we owe him everything. We owe him everything. And when we read the examples of the, in the New Testament, they gave their lives for God. Many, many of them gave their lives for God. There was no sense of ownership. There was no sense of what God owed them. So we need to be careful with this. If we want to keep score with God, we're going to lose. He'll win every time. He has given more. So this worldview of the bush will have some growth. You'll grow in knowledge. You might grow in understanding. But you'll always still be a bush. It's empty. doesn't have any life to give out of it. It's alone. We'll end up hating those that differ from our mindset, our worldview. And it's dry and barren. cannot produce good fruit. It's knowledge about God, about the Bible, about doing what's right, but no real relationship. So be weary of this type of worldview. The second worldview is the follow your heart worldview. Another one we've heard before, I think, that God wants us to just follow a heart. God wants us to just, just be me, just do whatever I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. But what is the heart, first of all? Well, he's not talking about an organ, of course. This word is a, this specific word in Hebrew, it means the inner man, which I think we know. It's the inner man. It's the, the, our mind, our will, our emotions. It's the inner parts of who we are. And this word in Hebrew is used 593 times in the Old Testament. It's a common word used throughout the Bible. And I want to point that out because I also want to say that our hearts are important. And it's a great gift of God that we have our mind, will, and emotions. We don't want to become dry. We don't want to crush or shut down or ignore our hearts. It's not at all what I want, to, want anyone to leave feeling today. We need to embrace that. We need to use our hearts to feel and to experience God in ways that are awesome and amazing and can only be experienced through 
our emotions, our will, and, and our mind as God works within us. But, we're talking about worldviews today, don't let the leading of your heart become the worldview through which you see everything else. Because I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's overreacted in their lives. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's had a moment where you kind of acted out of your emotions and thought, well, that was stupid. I definitely didn't mean to do that. I don't know what came over me. Well, that's our hearts. They're, they're vibrant. They're fiery. And, and there's something really beautiful about that. And we want to embrace those things. We want to kind of be in touch with those things. But I don't want to view the world and view reality and view my relationship with God through my own, the, own, the filter of my own emotions and the filter of my own will, of my inner self. I know my inner self. He's been wrong many times. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. You guys are like, my, my inner self knows what's going on. I don't know about you. So we want to know our hearts. We want to be connected to those, but we don't want it to be the lens by which we view the world because it's so easily led astray. And when it is, it will distort your vision. It will distort your vision about where you're going, who you are, your relationship with God. This will lead you to seeking out what feels best and needing the experience. And when that starts to become the norm, what we seek what feels good, we seek the experiences that we all share, that becomes, starts to become our truth. And I think a really good example that I was very hesitant to use, but I think it's an important one, is worship. Worship is awesome. And we should definitely worship God. And you should definitely feel some emotion. You should definitely, there should be a, a sense of, of God's presence. And there should be something that's kind of, you know, happening on the inside. It should be something, God connects with our inner man when we worship God. I think we maybe have all experienced that in one way or another at some point in our life. And that's a good thing. But if my worldview is based off this filter, well then, I'm gonna, it's going to start to distort my vision of that stuff. And I'm going to start separating the idea of worshiping God because He is glorious and mighty and worthy to be praised. And I'm going to start focusing on this feeling I have. And then I might start walking into this direction that becomes very dangerous where, you know, if the, if the music isn't, you know, intense enough and the atmosphere isn't kind of set for me to have this feeling that I had at this, you know, this concert I was at, this worship concert where it was like awesome and moving and I don't have that now, well then maybe it wasn't, maybe God's not here. Well, that's not true. We know that's not true because the Bible tells us that it's not true. And our worldview though, if again, if it's our worldview is shaped around our hearts, about around our inner man, we might start to seek the wrong things, even in good things. Even in something that's good and awesome and pure, like worshiping God, where we do want to, I'm not saying it's, not, it's wrong to feel. You should feel. There should be emotion. That's a beautiful thing. But if that becomes the focus, then you might find yourself not worshiping God at all, but worshiping your own emotions and seeking out. And again, it's, you're, it's just because it shapes, it shapes the way you view reality. That's what a worldview does. 
And if we do that, if we separate worshiping God from knowing God, then God becomes, can start to become a side dish. The heart that is unchecked leads to disaster. As we see with the younger brother example, the prodigal son, right? That's what he did. He went his own way. It led him to the pigs. And of course, it's never too late to redirect our hearts. It's never too late to change our, our perspective, to change our worldview, our understanding about these things. That's why I want to tell you about it today, because I think it's something we can forget. That if we're always focused on kind of how we perceive things, we might forget that there are some lenses in which that we're looking through first. So following your heart, it, can feel, it feels really good most of the time. But there's no real growth. There's no real growth that happens. It's about the experience. And, it's, and being led by a heart, we're never going to grow in God and in knowledge of God that we should. Because the heart is deceitful and it will lead us astray. We want to know it. We want to experience it. But don't let it be your guide or the lens that you look through. So that's the second. The last worldview we'll look at today is the tree planted by the stream. Let's read the verses again, verse 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. As I mentioned, that's the winner. That's the one we're hoping for. This is the one-way worldview. This is the one-way worldview. It's not through my actions. It's not that I've earned anything. It's not through my doctrine or what I've, all of the things that I've accomplished. It's not through my righteousness. It's not through following my heart or the feelings or the experiences that I've had. It's through Jesus Christ and the grace of the cross alone that we come to the Father. And that makes us like a tree planted by a stream. And I want to break this analogy down just a little bit more because I like analogies. So we're the tree. That wasn't obvious. We're the tree. But what kind of tree are you? Are you a mighty tree? Tall, full, hanging with fruit, are you a small small tree, maybe one apple kind of like halfway developed? What kind of tree are you? Is your confidence, is your trust in the Lord? Let me elaborate on what that question really means in the scope of a worldview. What does the text say? They will be like a tree. Well, that sounds good. I want to, okay, I want that. They will be like a tree planted. A tree that's been planted. This is where it becomes a worldview. This is where it starts to shape and change the way we understand everything. I love trees. Kind of a tree enthusiast. Like climbing trees. Like trees in my garden. I'm not a tree expert though, so don't ask me to name trees. But there's one thing that I'm very confident about trees. 
Trees don't plant themselves. They don't plant themselves. At least that I've ever seen so far. They are planted by something else. Now, another tree might drop seeds, but the tree itself didn't plant itself there. Most trees are planted by seed distribution of animals through a way that I won't explain. Trees don't plant themselves. Let me read John 6.44 to tie this in with our worldview. No one, this is Jesus talking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. No one can come to the Father and come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Well, it's God that sets us up where we need to be. He's the one that plants us. And I want to be very clear what I mean by that. It's not, it's not the whole picture, right? The planting is the beginning of something. But when we say, when we become interested in the ideas of God, and maybe you're here today and you're just checking it out, maybe you're just curious about this, whatever it might be, it's not an accident. This beginning to want to seek God is something that God plants within us, and that's the beginning of our being planted. Because God is our gardener. John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And now this leads to another image we see here, the roots. Now there are a lot of ideas that we could definitely pull from this idea of roots. And, but I'm going to present this one to you guys today, that we can see Jesus as our roots. We can see Jesus as our roots because we're the tree. We're planted there by God. And Jesus is our connection between, is the connection between us and the stream of new life. He's the vine, right? Vine's kind of like a root, looks similar. He is the connection. He's the connection between us as the tree and the source of life. And for this, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Such an important part of our Christianity. He is the living water. This is the fresh water that we're rooted into through Jesus Christ. Something else about trees? The little things that I do know. The water is not just in the roots. The water is not just in the trunk. Every aspect of the tree holds water. Everything that in, in the tree that has life has water. Every leaf Every branch, every twig that is alive has water within it. So we need to let the Holy Spirit fill us. Not just a little bit, not just a part of our lives, not just on Sundays, not just when we're worshiping, not just when we're reading the Bible. Every aspect of our lives, every aspect of who we are. Acts thirteen fifty two says, And the disciples were continually filled with joy, also a good thing, and with the Holy Spirit, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We can ask God for this. We can pray for this. We can try to, we can pray for God to do these things in, in mighty ways. But I, I want to also be clear that we as, 
as Christians have the Holy Spirit. This is a part of being planted and rooted through Jesus Christ into the stream of living water. If you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. But there are also these moments of greater flow where we see this kind of, then then we really see the heart experience kind of come into connection where there is this experience. There's something where God really embraces us by the Holy Spirit and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. We can ask God for these moments, but don't lose heart if that's not happening right now for you. Because these beautiful moments are an extra rush, an extra flow of the Holy Spirit and they're a gift to us from God. But it's not the only evidence of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We also have the green leaves of the tree. This is another part of all three working together. Again, God as our gardener who planted us there. Christ is our root. The connection we have to the living water and the Holy Spirit, the water that refreshes our minds, our body, our soul. And the leaves then are the sign of peace in hard times. It's the joy we have in knowing God and loving Him with all that we are and loving our Savior even when things are not going well for us. It's, not, it's having no fear when the drought comes. It's having no fear when heat comes or about tomorrow or about if everything's going to work out with that situation, whatever it might be. Our leaves will remain green because we have the Spirit, we have the water in every part of who we are. What can we fear? What can steal our joy and what can crush our peace when we know, when we know that we've been planted by a good gardener and that we are rooted into new life through Jesus Christ? That is the core of this worldview. When I know that, I have no fear. I have peace. I have joy. And of course, there will also be fruit. Verse 10 of our text, I am the Lord. I, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind and reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, we don't want to get bogged down with this because our worldview tells us what and this is where the gospel worldview becomes most radical because it's it's christ actions christ actions that become our reward he paid the price for our sins that we owed on the cross that's only half the story he also lived a perfect life he was the perfect older brother he lived perfect. He stayed. He was righteous. He did everything right. He did deserve the full reward, but he gives it to us. He gives his righteousness that he earned to us. But we are also called in our Christian walk to produce fruit. What does this look like? Well, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and the roots of Jesus Christ And the skilled hands of God as our gardener, where we are being perfected in our faith. 
John 15, 2, if we continue on with what Jesus says, I am the, I am the vine and, and my father is the gardener. He then goes on to say, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is the two, this is the false worldviews because they cannot lead to new life. Only the tree planted by the stream, right? While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Day by day, we are being pruned, being prepared and perfected by God as our gardener. That's so encouraging to be reminded of. Do you need to change your worldview today? To have a Christ-centered lens by which you see everything else? What do you really believe about Jesus Christ and his work on the cross? What is the gospel for you? How are you saved? How are you made right before God today? The answers to these questions will reveal your worldview. So I want to encourage you, I want to leave you guys this week with some homework to think about this stuff, to think on this. To remember this every time you step outside and see a tree and seek to understand your own salvation better. To know what your experiences mean, to know your own heart, and to know in your mind as well the ways of your salvation. Because it's through this understanding that you will view everything else. I want to invite the band to come back up. In closing today, we want to end. We're going to take up our offering. This is because we believe that the offering is also an act of worship. It's a part of our kind of a connection to our Lord, to, that he brings us in to be a part of his work in the church. And church, of course, is not our idea. It's God's idea. But if you're here for the first time or you're just checking it out, then we want to make sure that you know there's no pressure for anybody to give. There's no need to feel compelled But if you do have it on your heart or you feel like this is a home that you want to invest in, this is an opportunity now to do that. So I'll pray. The ushers will then pass the bucket and then we can end our service with one last song in worship to God. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for church that is your idea and a way for us to be in unison with one another, to be a support for one another as we grow in community and grow in our relationship with you. So I pray, Father, that all the, every cent, Father, today that is given would be given with a heart that is right, and, Lord, with, uh, that the wis- there would be wisdom for us as, or as the church to use it as you would see fit in the furthering of your kingdom here in Freiburg. In Jesus' name, amen.